0: Brussels is actually quite polluted for like maybe two or three weeks a year. It tends to be really hard to breathe and uh, you can feel there's a lot of fine particles in the air. And generally people think that it's uh, only the cars, but actually I, uh, almost by accident, I I started uh, being aware of the coal industry and the coal plants.
1: A few months ago, Johnny Le Mercier, a French artist living in Brussels, reached out to me on Twitter. He had been documenting a coal mine near him, the Hambach Mine, the largest open-pit coal mine in Europe. It's actually located in Germany, about a two-hour drive from where Joni lives in Brussels. Anyway, he was surprised to find that he had something in common with this mine. They both relied on software from a California-based company that has made sustainability a big part of its brand, Autodesk. If you work in architecture or engineering or product design, you probably know that name. They make a variety of computer-aided drafting or CAD software packages. Joni uses it in his artwork too to plan projections onto buildings. Outside of these realms, Autodesk is relatively unknown, but its software is critical to the design of many of the world's buildings. It's also used to design extractive equipment and pipelines for quite a few companies in the fossil fuel industry. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled. Drilled. When I first started doing environmental reporting in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of interest in green business and sustainability. The idea of a, quote, triple bottom line that you had to balance social and environmental impact with profits that dominated the conversation. And I have to admit, it took me several years to realize that while it might encourage some companies to think about their social and environmental impact and not just their profits, it was mostly being used to avoid taking steps that might be good for the environment or for people, but were bad for profits. This year on Earth Day, we're putting out a story on Drilled News that takes aim at that idea and grapples with what sort of role companies that want to be green really need to be taking to accomplish that goal. Reporter Maddie Stone, who started the website Earther and now freelances for various sites, most recently The Atlantic and Vice, joins us to talk about her piece a bit, and we'll hear more from Joni too. Back with that in a minute after this quick word from today's sponsor.
0: So basically, the, the, the largest source of CO2 emission and pollution in Europe is right here.
1: That's Johnny again, talking us through his first trips out to the Humbach mine in Germany.
0: The the scale is just enormous, and it's really hard to, to believe what's going on and to understand. This is the famous... Um, uh, Badger, the excavator, that is uh, d- designed with Autodesk Inventor, and I think there are about 20 of those machines operating 24-7, uh, all year long with, with no stop, and this this particular machine, uh, I think uh, it's an amazing piece of, uh, of engineering, uh, it's 200 meters long, it's really quite remarkable in terms of conception. Uh, the only problem is that it's, it's polluting so much and it's, it's threatening our um, uh, mankind, I think, or, uh, pollution first, and then c o two but I think the world planet is uh, is in danger because of this very machine uh, and I was really, really uh, surprised actually when I went there when I started my research, when I started talking to people uh, i didn 't have a clue about the coal industry being still in expansion, uh, and also i didn 't realize that um that autodesk was uh, was uh, 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 had this PDF uh, telling about the success story of how much coal you can dig in a, in a day, and and this single machine is actually re- can actually at full capacity, it, it can generate half a million ton of uh, CO two for in in a single day. The
1: mine also happens to be surrounded by an old growth forest that's been largely cut down to accommodate its expansion. In recent years, it's been the site of multiple protests. Greta Thunberg even joined a protest there last year. Local villages have met similar fates, raised to make room for more mining. Those giant machines Joni mentioned are maintained using Autodesk software. They're fairly old, so if you need a replacement part, you gotta make one. With Autodesk, at least at this particular mine, Joni found a case study on Autodesk's website about the mine. That's how he connected the two in the first place. And when he brought that to Autodesk's attention, The case study was removed from their site. He, of course, had already downloaded it and has now put it up all over the Internet, including on a new website he made and launched today to highlight Autodesk's role in climate change just in time for Earth Day. It's a long way from the sort of messaging the company puts out about itself and its environmental impact. Here's Maddie Stone, who picked up where Joni left off and reported this story out for us.
2: At Autodesk, sustainability really is more of a marketing tool than a set of core and guiding principles. It's a way of shaping projects, shaping initiatives that the company already wants to engage with into something that looks a little bit greener around the edges. So, you know, can we build this data center with more renewable power? Can we tweak this software to encourage our clients to build a building in a slightly greener way? And thinking about who our clients are and should we be working with this particular industry is so far outside the realm of how Autodesk and really tech companies at large think about corporate social responsibility. Um, You know, not to say that it wouldn't be the right choice. It wouldn't be the, the one of the most impactful things they could do would be to take a hard stance and say we're not going to work with Europe's largest polluters anymore. Um, but their sustainability teams just aren't even trained to think in that way. And so when Joni raised this, you know, issue and pointed out that you working with Europe's largest coal mine is directly, Antithetical to everything you say in your sustainability marketing, it undermines all of this other work that you're doing. I mean, that is true, but it would have been such a drastic thing for the company to acknowledge that and um, you know take the necessary steps to to remediate that. My sense is they just you know, didn't have a response. it was it was so outside the realm of what the company, was willing to engage with, how it had conceptualized sustainability over the last 10 years, that, you know, they just weren't going to engage. They didn't have a response. So um, (laughs) they responded in perhaps the uh, worst way possible, which was just not to respond at all.
1: They actually did respond a bit at first. Autodesk CEO Andrew Anagnost engaged with Joni on Twitter and he was able to arrange a call with the company's VP of Sustainability, Lanelle Cameron. She's also the CEO of the Autodesk Foundation, the company's charitable giving arm. She thanked Joni for bringing the Coleman case study to her attention and for raising the idea that the company could be doing more to track the impact of its products. It's possible she was expecting Joni to be happy with a, hey, thanks, we'll look into it kind of response. But here's what Joni said.
0: Uh, It it will sound like corporate bullshit if you keep emitting so much uh, CO2.
1: It probably won't surprise you to learn that Joni's follow-up call with Linnell Cameron was canceled. Joni has been asking Autodesk to add the carbon majors to its denial list. This is a list it keeps of companies and industries that it won't license its software to, including terrorist organizations and manufacturers of weapons of mass destruction which Maddie points out is a legitimately big ask.
2: I should also say, you know, regarding the fact that companies do have these downstream impacts on climate change through their clients, through the fact that they license software out to a coal company or an oil company. That is true it is also very hard to determine the carbon impact of your products, the downstream impact. So what Linnell said to Joni about, you know, we don't try to determine the carbon impact of our products when it's out there in the world, that is true for most tech companies. So this gets a little technical and boring, but basically the way that tech companies report carbon emissions, there are kind of these three scopes of emissions that they consider and try to reduce if they have a plan to reduce their climate impact. And so those are emissions associated, you know, directly with their, you know, their stores, their employees going on flights, going to conferences. And then there's upstream and downstream emissions through the manufacturing and the use of their products. And Those downstream emissions, and in carbon reporting, these are technically called scope three emissions, can include, that's where the company might try to consider uh, the impact that a software product has when it gets in the hands of a client and that client turns around and excavates a giant hole in the earth and starts pulling out 40 million tons of coal a year. So that is where a company like Autodesk might try to consider that downstream impact. But within the framework that these companies have for kind of accounting for their carbon footprint and reporting it, they're not actually required to consider those downstream impacts. So that is considered, to leave this technical explanation here, that is considered an optional add-on to the scope three emissions, not something that a company that is reporting that scope three downstream would have to include. And so because it is difficult, and because it would in all likelihood greatly inflate their climate impact, most companies simply choose not to consider that. And that seems to be the case at Autodesk. So yeah, it's this this tricky thing where companies like Autodesk could have such a more profound impact on where we're headed in terms of climate change if they were to sort of do the work of considering who their customer base is, considering is it right for us to be working with this group or that group, but instead they're drawing this kind of circle around themselves and saying we're going to do everything to, you know, green up our own operation and we're just not going to engage with what happens, you know, beyond the walls of Autodesk.
1: It's the same sort of approach much bigger tech companies like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google have taken and increasingly been criticized for. Employees and customers have been pushing the tech industry to think through its role in climate change more. And it's an interesting question, because where do you draw the line? Should Microsoft also not sell Excel to fossil fuel companies? Maybe. A conversation worth having. At a minimum, asking tech companies to report on their real impact on climate change seems valid. Here's Maddie again.
2: So, if they're working with companies that have aggressive climate goals that are doing kind of sustainability work, my sense through Autodesk's reporting is that they want to try to quantify the positive environmental impact that they're having through working with those companies, which of course gives you an extremely lopsided picture if they're not considering the companies that are accelerating the climate problem at the same time, which it seems like they're not doing at all.
0: From my understanding, uh, the the environmental policy page is just just a smokescreen, just a masquerade. Uh, When they say that they measure the environmental impact of their operations technically that's a lie because their operations in germany they don't measure it they just don't um they don't they, they're not even trying or starting what i suggested to Linell uh, in july uh, last year was to take uh, the hundred most polluting companies in the world that would be aramco exxon rwe is part of is part of it is part of that list and they actually have a tool to uh, to, to exclude clients. It's called the um, the denial list. They use it for uh, customers that are non-ethical, uh, that might be in, uh, that might do a terrorist, um, that might be linked to terrorist groups or stuff. So they have a, a denial list, which is a great tool to exclude clients. And my suggestion was to just add the 100 most polluting companies to that list, because instantly. That would be part of that, would be a way to apply their environmental policy, and that would be just a start. You know, it wouldn't fix everything, but that would be a signal of hope that they won't work with uh, Exxon, Aramco, uh, and maybe that would have a significant impact over the years. And even symbolically, that would be a great uh, signal of hope. Uh, And that's when she canceled the follow up call, because I believe the amount of profits they make from those clients uh, the Autodesk employees told me that it was very likely that, uh, that, that those hundred most polluting companies were also, uh, the most, the 100 most profitable clients of Autodesk. I still believe that the, the employees are not aware of this, the clients and the investors either, but the executives well are, I've emailed all of them a year ago and yet they failed to, uh, to, to, to take any action. Did you get a sense, Maddie,
1: when, like, in any of your reporting of weather or how hard it would be for some of the fossil fuel companies, for example, to, you know, just use a different software? Because that mm-hmm. seems to be kind of the response. And I, yeah. I, you hear that from like other tech companies too, right? It's like, well, if not yeah. us, then someone else will do it. So, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. I,
2: I don't think we can definitively say if Autodesk chose to cut off XYZ, it would entirely pamper their ability to do what they're doing. I think what we can say is that making such a choice would be a very profound statement for Autodesk and one that would really kind of position it as a leader out in front of all these other companies that are grappling with the same issue of, holy shit, we've been working with the fossil fuel industry and we're part of the problem, um, but our leadership doesn't want to do anything about it. And It would be a profound statement for a company like Autodesk to say, we're not going to work with even the top 20 carbon emitters anymore. And that, I think, could have a ripple effect and help kind of mobilize and energize perhaps some of the other companies that have these lucrative relationships with the oil and gas industry. You know, we've seen over the last couple of years as companies kind of step up in terms of their climate commitments, we're sort of seeing this competition within Silicon Valley to make the biggest or the boldest climate commitments. You know, we had Google and Apple say a few years back, they've gone carbon neutral at their facilities. And there's a lot of caveats with that that I won't get into right now. And then, um, you know, earlier this year, we had Microsoft come out and say, well, we're going to be carbon negative. So, we do see this kind of competition within these companies to kind of show off your green cred. And what none of these companies, to my knowledge, have decided to grapple with yet is sort of this big elephant in the room of, well, how do you say you're carbon neutral or how do you say you're carbon negative if you're furnishing tools to the very actors who are perpetuating our dependence on fossil fuels like how do you say that and that so that is a leap that the tech industry really has not chosen to take yet and so you know could rwe power find another cad software provider maybe probably but if autodesk were to take that step would that still potentially have a kind of large ripple effect on silicon valley's relationship with the fossil fuel industry i i think it could And another thing I'll say that might provide a little bit more insight into, you know, why Autodesk has chosen not to engage with this is the sources I spoke with, while they all kind of universally agreed that choosing to cut off the biggest carbon emitters would be a way of showing real climate leadership. And that was something I think everyone felt like they would like to see. Sources who were familiar with Autodesk and sort of how its software licensing works, pointed out that it would be difficult to implement such a policy in practice because oftentimes Autodesk licenses software out through these smaller intermediary companies, which then develop relationship with the big, you know, the exons and the chevrons and what have you. So there might be a local Company that has software licenses and does training, and maybe they're the ones furnishing RWE with the software, but maybe they're also working with, you know, Germany's wind industry or its solar industry. Mm. Um, so there are these kind of tricky issues in terms of where would you draw the line and how would such a policy be implemented in practice. But at the same time, you know, the fact that there would be governance challenges with such a policy, I don't think anyone feels like that's not a reason to try you know anyone who's thinking about this seriously like yeah it's going to be it's going to be hard work tackling climate change is going to be hard work
1: indeed tackling climate change is going to be hard work a marketing program and giving some free software to green building people is probably not going to move the needle that's it for this episode but you can read maddie's feature on this on our website we'll link to it in the show notes